I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I say definitely count, especially in regards to our topic today. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but since Joe Casada said that annual doesn't count, I don't believe those annuals count, Dan, so I'm sorry. Look at you, Casada Shill. Oh, well, anyway, thank you for joining us for the fourth episode of season six of The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. Every episode of this season features artwork by comic artist Nick Cagnetti and is available to our Patreon members unlettered and in stunning high resolution. You aren't prepared for the level of resolution on this artwork. But in this season of The Amazing Spider Talk, we're going back to the mid-80s when the Amazing Spider-Man title was handed over to one of the most legendary creative pairings in comics who were just starting their creative partnership together. That's none other than Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, both equally legendary, though I think Tom would push back on that. But it was a time of immense change in the comics industry, but together Tom and Ron returned Spider-Man to its Ditko-inspired roots to create one of the most beloved runs on the title. That's right, Dan. On today's show, we are going to be covering the courtship between Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. Their relationship hit several key turning points during this run, so we'll be talking about how they occurred and shaped Peter Parker and Mary Jane as one of the best couples in all of comics. We specifically won't be talking about the marriage and the events that came afterwards, not to avoid any controversy, although maybe we kind of are, but because those topics will merit their own episode in the future, but also to avoid the controversy. Right, Dan? Yeah, 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 yeah. So don't write us. Put down your emails right now. Dear Twitter, I want to complain about these hosts. No, go, go. (laughs) But Mark... As you and I are the ultimate devoted couple, our relationship on this podcast remains untested. We all know how much we understand the give and take. Yes, we may bicker about annuals. Do they count? Don't they? Ultimately, our love triumphs over all adversity, even bad runs of Spider-Man. And there have been many. But how will our love stack up against a podcast all about comics and relationships? 
Yes, I bring this up because joining us for our episode about comics, relationships, and Mary Jane Watson are none other than Brad and Lisa Gullickson from the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. Well, now let's meet one of our amazing spider friends, the kind of guy I go to other friends who recommend. Find out about the things they created. You'll love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends. They're an amazing friend. A friend, a friend, a friend. They're an amazing friend. Welcome, Brad and Lisa. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. I didn't know this was a competition of who is the better couple in comics, because how do you measure infinity against infinity? Love is forever. Each love is beautiful and unique. Love is a snowflake, ready to be erased by the devil. There you go. Uh, well, thank, th- thank you, Brad and Lisa, for uh, for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your show, Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast, affectionately known as CBCC. So Comic Book Couples Counseling, what we do over there is we take a comic book couple, iconic or not so, and we pair them with a self-help book. Uh, So, for example, we launched our podcast many years ago with Scott Summers and Gene Gray, did four episodes on them covering four arcs and using Gary Chapman's, uh, let's say, interesting, somewhat problematic self-help guide, The Five Love Languages. But in the process of doing that, we learned a lot about ourselves. We used it to help the couple, but mostly we use it to explore our own inner life and our own romantic life. And we have done a whole series already on Peter Parker and Mary Jane. We have. And um, for that, we used, um, I can't remember who the love expert was. The Myers-Briggs. Yeah, uh, the the Myers-Briggs type indicator, which was something if you went to school, high school in the early 2000s, you're very familiar with, which is also problematic. Yes, 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 yes. And it was so difficult to really cover that expansive relationship in just four episodes. So we're very happy to re-explore their relationship and cover it in a way that we really didn't, or from a point of view that we didn't. Like our first episode used Parallel Lives, the original graphic novel, and we jumped in time from that point forward. So it's nice to go back to the 80s and Actually, you know, today we went back and explored the very first few appearances of Mary Jane and you forget a lot of like the we- like the weird way that they came together. It's yeah. just so strange. Yeah. It's strange and weirdly consistent, you know, d- depending on who who you're talking to. Um did you guys have any takeaways from those four conversations about these characters? Our takeaway at the end of those four episodes, which we concluded with Redheaded Stranger, was that we like them as a couple. And we are, you know, we're not going to get into it, but we are team marriage of, <laughs> uh, of Peter and Mary Jane. And I think that has a lot to do with where we first encountered them in our reading experience. You know, when we started reading these comics, they were a married couple. And there are so few functioning married couples in comics that, you know, you don't want to ever lose one. So when we got done with that four podcast series, we like, we just, we said, we like them together. We feel like they complement each other. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, I believe that they can really make it work. You know, I was thinking about this when like setting up the notes for today's show is like, I can't really think of many couples or, or comics built around romance in Marvel at this moment anymore everybody likes to complain about 
the state of Peter and Mary Jane, but like this idea, not only of supporting casts, which seem to be going away, but the whole idea of like focusing a book around a relationship seems fairly foreign. Like the last one that I can really think of that like was charming in the way that like early Peter Parker and Mary Jane courting comics were is maybe like Dennis Hopeless's spider woman between her and porcupine or something like there haven't been many couples I've invested in. Has that made doing your show like kind of difficult to stay modern? Do you think in some way, as far as like covering couples that extend a long period of time, because I would say like most people when they took their writing classes go like, well, drama is conflict. So if you have a couple at some point, you're going to have to have them conflict against each other. And so if you look at the long relationships in Marvel comics, you know, Reed and Sue, Scott and Gene, you know, those kinds of things, the, inevitably some writers like we got to, we got to shatter this thing. Uh, so it does get in the way of us covering relationships that have lasted over decades into the modern era. At the same time, you know, like right now we're covering Mark and Eve as experienced in Robert Kirkman, Ryan Otley, and Corey Walker's Invincible series. And it's My so good. And there are so many comic book couples that you can cover besides the iconic ones. All the iconic ones have had have had their troubles, except for Brad and Lisa of Comic Book Couples Counseling. <laughs> and we also have a pretty broad view of what is romance and what is a relationship. We've done the Bat family. We've also covered like Loki's relationship with himself, which is a you know a deep well. So we I did think... sibling relationships using Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's one of my favorites. So romance is all around us. It doesn't That's necessarily cool. need to be you know that like. Two people going to the altar and staying together forever. Like that's not that's not the sum total of what is beautiful and romantic in our lives. And after covering Reed and Sue and Scott and Jean and Peter and MJ, we've decided that when we tackle maybe some of these more iconic characters, we're just going to find like the best moments in their relationships rather than, you know, we don't always have to tackle some terrible writer's idea of how to pit them against each other. Yeah. And you and we just com, uh continue tantrically see tantrically teasing Lois and Clark. It'll happen someday. Maybe. Maybe we'll do uh <laughs> Superman and Wonder Woman first. Yeah, cuz we're trolls. And well, I just give one final shout out for your podcast for now is that, like you guys get the best guests like of any podcast on comics that I know. I'm always amazed by who shows up on your show and like even if like couples aren't your thing listener, you know, comic book couples counseling podcast has incredible insight into the comic making and, and reading uh, process. Like I, I've learned about so many books that I'd never heard of from you guys. It really is like a joyful trip into the world of comics uh, week to week. So you guys get my highest recommendation and I, I hope some of our listeners go and, and check you guys out. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We've been completely spoiled. Yeah, very spoiled. Yeah. Our current episode is a conversation with the great British Bake Off star, Kim Joy, uh, discussing her new comic book, Turtle Bread, which is all about self-care and self-reflection. And we saw a lot of ourselves in that book. And so it's nice to talk those like, I, I, I believe, you know, not to brag. 
maybe he'll brag a little. But I, I believe that our interviews with comics creators go into areas that other comics interviews do not. And I, I like to think that that's what separates a comic book couples counseling interview from, a, you know, some other really rad process interview. We honestly believe that stories are are something we do to reflect what life truly is and what we truly think. And I think that going at that conversation with going like, we might ask you about your creative process and where you get your ideas, but what we really want to know is the meaning of life. 42. <laughs> All right, well, Correct. from one number to, to another, you know, on today's show, we're going to talk about uh, Peter and Mary Jane's coupling process uh, up to the marriage. We're not covering the marriage. We're going to get to the official I do, you know, and, and, and where that occurred. And that took a pretty like circuitous route to get there. Like there are many steps forward and there are many steps back. Right. And ultimately we found ourselves at that place that actually we don't find ourselves at today. So, you know, this is a, a relationship that's kind of run the gamut. And so I wanted a way to talk about it, not only like to make it clear for us, uh, you know, where we were in the, the stages and give us a way to summarize a process that took, you know, over 20 years to get to the, the result that we got to in the marriage, but also to kind of like tie into Brad and Lisa, what you guys do. So I have identified five stages of dating. Now, uh, far be it for me to suggest that I am the dating expert. I did a lot of dating and I feel like I chose pretty well in regards to my wife, but these are, you know, you take issue with my five stages of dating if you want, but these are what I've outlined. Okay. Stage one, attraction. Stage two, the appearance of reality. It's like that post honeymoon phase. Commitment, then intimacy, and then engagement. Now, look, like if I was Catholic, maybe I'd swap <laughs> the last two and say engagement and then intimacy but you know like we're, we're going with my very secular uh, approach to dating it's about as much detail i'm going to give into that on this podcast so brad and lisa you saw my five things like you guys are more relationship experts than i am take issue with what i've laid out there how do you feel about this list First and foremost, we are not relationship experts, even though we pretend to be on our podcast. That's why we use the self-help books, because we have no idea what we're talking about. So we'd like to defer to people who also claim themselves to be experts, but very often are not. Lisa is a performance major. I'm an English major. <laughs> okay. So, 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 I mean, I, I would consider my expertise. Like, like you are. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do like the placement of your like reality portion where there is this thing like when you're attracted to someone and they exist in orbit outside of your life kind of and then you go okay the next the next step after crushing on someone is to invite them into your life and go like well here's my mess what do you think uh, may i see your mess and that's often why when you look back on or at least when I look back on our early dating life, I don't really recognize that Lisa or that Brad. They feel a little alien to me because they are in like the like, you know, I got to get this one. <laughs> like yeah. I, I've set my sights <laughs> on this person and uh, I'm going to uh, pull them into my orbit. Uh, and, and once you get them into the orbit, then you kind of actually reveal who you are and uh, you shed some of that. You know, yeah, our, but I mean, Mary Jane and Peter's will they, won't they time lasts 
years where our will they won't they lasted like maybe a couple of weeks and we're like yeah we both work at Barnes and Noble we will (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and Peter inherently has a struggle like it it baked into all of his relationships Um, I think about someone like Carly Cooper you know he could never get past certain phases because he was unwilling to reveal his reality to her you know and even, even with Mary Jane and we'll talk about it like like his wall is up you know it takes someone else puncturing it for that that to be revealed what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of these stages we're going to highlight a couple of comics that like you know we i I thought at least fit fit into those stages and we'll have a conversation about about what it's like reading those comics and how much we believe in in how well it was written and in this couple itself so like i said the first stage is attraction mark why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the events that uh fall under the attraction phase of peter and mj's relationship let's deal with like the first couple of appearances of mary jane i mean the first is actually more i i I would define as a cameo or you know we we don't even see her face that was an amazing spider-man number 25 that's a stan lee steve dicko issue Famously, Ditko never actually got to reveal Mary Jane. That was saved for for John Romita uh, a couple of years later. But in this issue, Aunt May and uh, her neighbor, uh, Anna Watson, are trying to set up Peter and Anna's niece. Who do, do we even get her name in this issue, or is it just her niece? I, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Dan, I believe I believe we learned MJ. It yeah. is MJ. Okay, so but Peter at that point he's kind of you know. In and out with with Betty Brand, he's like he 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 dodges the meeting altogether. In learning more about MJ during this this issue, you know, she, she kind of gets like the, the the dreaded moniker of having a good personality, <laughs> um, you know, which was like code for oh she's not much to look at. <laughs> um, but when we do see MJ in this issue, we just kind of get like the side of her face, but it's like covered by a, a, a handkerchief. So we never actually see her face. And and that's kind of the the extent that we, we get to meet MJ during the Ditko run in Amazing Spider-Man 42, uh, which is the, the, the third issue of John Romita Sr.'s run on the book with Stan Lee, we, we get the the big reveal, which is, you know, of course, you know, like it's the end of the issue. Oh, wait, you can't avoid it any longer. Peter opens the door and face it, Tiger, you hit the jackpot and it's it's Anne Margaret, except it's Mary Jane Watson. But, you know, Ramita famously based it on Anne Margaret, who was like the it actress of that time. You know, like in the very next issue, Mason Spider-Man 43, it's a rhino issue. She's like tagging along on the adventure. He has to ditch her to go deal with her. But MJ is just like, you know, at one point she's just kind of like dancing in the middle of like the living room. And Peter's like, what is up with this girl? I mean, it's like like she is just like <laughs> this like other world ethereal being of just like, you know, sex basically i hate to say i mean like let's just call total it smoke it show yeah exactly total smoke show and this is kind of the introduction and we could talk about what happens next which is basically then peter goes with gwen stacy but like at the time it just felt like oh okay here's the girl right i mean like what what, what did you all kind of take away from this intro revisiting the cameo moment in Amazing Spider-Man 25. These are like the issues I tend to reread the most, the the Steve Ditko stuff. And 
that issue, I had forgotten that Betty Brant is like furious with Peter Parker at the beginning of it because he's siding with J. Jonah Jameson against uh, uh, Spider-Man and selling photos. When Betty Brant and Liz Allen collide with each other at the aunt's house and they finally see Mary Jane and she's covered by that scarf and that flower and they're like aghast at how gorgeous she is. They say, you know, she looks like a screen star, but the way that Ditko illustrates, they're like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> like, this is no good. <laughs> this, this lady is too attractive. And I think that's just like the best tease for, you know, the, the dramatic irony of, of uh, to encourage the dramatic irony with Peter really trying to avoid his his aunt's friend's niece because she can't possibly be anything interesting. I understand like his lack of urgency to go meet Mary Jane. No one likes to get set up. Because he doesn't I mean, I have he doesn't have a sense of scarcity, right? Like he already has <laughs> Liz Allen, the coolest girl at school, and Betty Brant practically camping out on his dick like at all times and I, I think also he, you know he's at this age where he's not ready to be seen completely as a sexual being by aunt may like he feels that like aunt may still sees him as this nerdy guy and he doesn't really see himself as that anymore but he keeps that separate separate mm. from her and and even later when Mary Jane and Peter start really kicking it off, like Aunt May is so excited, like going like, oh, see, this is the kind of girl I want Peter to be with because Peter needs to come out of his shell, right? He He's like this sheltered guy. This is, the, but meanwhile, he he has his pick of all of the, all of the ladies who cross into panel, you know? <laughs> so so I, I think that this is like kind of a, a growth moment for, Aunt May as well to see like, oh, you know, Peter can get it, you know, <laughs> on his own. I, I like, you know, rereading these for, for the show, I, I can't help but reflect on the final image of 42, the week of uh, this is the week of John Romita Sr.'s passing and just how iconic that image is. And especially in response to the setup that Dicko gave you know, of selling this image, which Dicko could never have paid off. N not in a million years. Lo I love Steve Dicko. That was not his image to pay off, you know, and that was Ramita senior took it and made it iconic, whether it be Stan Lee's, you know, great line, you know, face it tiger, you know, combined with that artwork, there's something really special in that image. And MJ announces herself on the page in that image. So boldly, there's a level of confidence that I don't think any woman in Peter's life had up to that point. I mean, Betty is kind of a wreck and will continue to be a wreck to today um, <laughs> you know, as, as a character. Um, and MJ just kind of enters. I mean, yes, it's put on confidence, which we'll talk about. But like it was something really new for Peter. And then when she tags along in for issue 43 on that adventure on the back of Peter's bike, there is a kind of like reckless dangerous element to her that's actually like this girl could really hang with Peter and this new phase and I really feel like coupling him up with Gwen Stacy is kind of 
the ultimate betrayal that this book made because it's it, the minute MJ shows up on the page as a reader, I'm not interested in Gwen Stacy ever again. And I know that Stan had his own thing with blondes and yada, yada. You know, we're talking about attraction in this phase of dating. And it's like, even just as a reader, I feel that attraction. Like, like you know, look, Gwen Stacy, fine. You know, MJ on a whole other level. And yes, maybe she's emotionally unavailable. But if you're 21 and you meet MJ, I'm sorry. Like, that's the end of it. Game over. Uh, it is interesting reflecting on the John Romita Sr. panels, those last two panels of that issue, and really considering how the way that she is presented in that moment defines that whole facade character that is later that is explored in later issues because she comes on so strong and so like get ready you know I'm the jackpot. Uh, it's easy to see how Stan and other writers explored her narrative later on. It does make me wonder how the aunts were selling Peter to Mary Jane. <laughs> they're like, this kid is so nerdy and he's never brought a girl home. He's super smart. He's probably going to make a lot of money eventually. <laughs> but like they're just... Uh, tamper tamper your expectations of what he's going to be a glow up like you're gonna he's going to be a fixer upper you know and so she was going in with this idea of like well he's not expected like you know they're selling someone who's maybe expecting a six i'm an 11 so you think aunt may knows this and and aunt may is like like she's in on the reveal yeah i i think maybe like I think that Mary Jane is an individual who both she wants to feel wanted, but she doesn't want to feel needed. You know what I mean? So I feel like she feels very safe in going like, okay, this nerdy guy is going to want me and seeing me is going to make his damn day. (laughs) It's one of those reveals that like, like especially needed something like parallel lives to convince you on Mary Jane's half of the things, which like in parallel lives, if you haven't read that uh, listener, you find out that Mary Jane has known since the night Peter became Spider-Man uh, for, you know, and confronted the burglar that he, you know, he is Spider-Man. And so like, you can understand a, like the kind of like a, a attraction to that, that would be beyond how he might be sold, like you said, by Aunt May. Although Aunt May has had quite the uh, healthy sex life over the years. <laughs> she has. I think thanks to Anna, which we'll get into later. Oh, interesting. This is a realm I didn't expect to go into. But m- moving on to, to the next stage, as I outlined of dating. Again, not an expert, but I appreciate your guys uh, uh, patting my back on putting reality next, right? This is where the characters begin to reveal who they actually are aside from the false bravado. And sometimes people have failure in the stage where they can't drop the kind of show and, you know, and the relationship remains paper thin. Mark, tell us a little bit about some of this reality elements as they crept into this still nascent relationship between Peter and MJ. Well, right. So, uh, of course, during the bulk of this time, Peter was was very much 
dating Gwen. So, you know, to kind of keep with like the the everyone has to be paired off with somebody vibe of the book of this era. Mary Jane was was more or less dating Harry Osborne dating lots of quotation marks in the air i mean they were doing yeah, something they were together for the for for you know more or less. new haircut and his fu manchu suggest that something was going on there yeah and i and i i think this was best kind of evidenced in the you know what we would refer to as the the harry osborne on drugs issues which were the 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 three no c uh cgc code uh cgc no Comic Book Authority, CBA. <laughs> Sorry, I'm mixing up my 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 acronyms here. The 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 No Authority labels on the issues uh, 96 through 98. In those issues, of course, Harry is like you know getting in on on pills and drugs and all that, and and MJ is just kind of like I'm gonna keep flirting with Peter here, even though my my boyfriend's having a nervous breakdown. You know what 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 could possibly be wrong that come of that? It was very flattering to. MJ. MJ, I would think this this kind of like was the status quo for the most part. You know, MJ was was would be flirting with Peter, even though he was with Gwen. She was with Harry. It didn't really matter. And, you know, I think it kind of peaked in Amazing Spider-Man 122, which is, of course, the issue after Gwen Stacy famously died and after the Green Goblin famously died. And we had kind of the 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 door shut where, you know, Peter is is completely broken and destroyed by the death of Gwen and he he's in you know he's one-on-one with mj and he's just like you wouldn't understand go 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 to your parties or whatever you want to do and you know she closes the door and stays there and comforts him and it's kind of like at that point the relationship seems to kind of go to the next level even though it's really not presented as a relationship at that point because peter's long-term girlfriend had just died by both the hand of his villain and perhaps his own webbing. I want to start with the drug issues because, like, Dan, you referred to earlier about, you know, the Stan Lee of it all and kind of like what his incentives and motivations were in terms of Peter Parker's relationships. And those drug issues, I, I feel like they are obnoxiously unkind to Mary Jane as a character. I mean, like, they they, they really portray her as, like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm overreading it, but I feel like she is just, like, persona non grata here in terms of like both how she is just dismissive of of harry's descent into madness but also just like the fact that peter is with somebody else and she just doesn't care uh you know um what does everyone else on the the pod here think well to me like the first so starting with issue number 96 where mary jane is having her like you know theater debut and she invites all of her friends, including Peter and including Harry Harry and Norman. She wants everybody there. And she really does want to be like, hey, this is a day where you are here to celebrate me. This is this should be my comic right now. Yeah. Like I am here, <laughs> I'm having you here specifically because I need your love and support right now. And, and Harry and, can't provide it. And and Harry she sees her interacting with Peter and giving him some flirtatious attention and he immediately bristles. He's immediately defensive about it. Where I feel like, so so what ends up happening is she takes Peter aside separately and ushers him personally to his theater seat. 
And she's like kind of doing that like entertaining, flirty kind of thing. But then we find out later that Harry and Norman were invited to watch backstage. And so to me, I go like, well, what happened in between her ushering to Peter, Tim to his seat, and then inviting her boyfriend backstage? Well, she doesn't call Peter lover. Yeah, she doesn't call Peter lover. And also, I think that she didn't want to make Peter feel bad. He's sitting in the audience while they're with the cool cool kids backstage. But like Harry doesn't see that and recognize that. All he sees is like how she kind of sparks and lights up around Peter, who, which she does around everyone because she is just, she wants to be loved and seen in that moment. I 100% agree with all, all of that. I mean, I think there are definitely instances, like I like your reframing of that moment and uh, for her. But I think there are like a ton of instances where she is definitely instigating this competition between her and Gwen. You know, specifically there's like an issue where they go to the disco. Mark, you probably have that number handy. Is that 59? Uh, you know, right, yeah. Yeah, the the one the, the diptych cover of MJ dancing and Spider-Man fighting and yeah, her first cover, you know. Like there is that competitive thing there. I think this is where it really ropes in Harry in an uncomfortable way. And that's why it blows up in the way that it does. But transitioning to issue 122 after the death of Gwen, and you've got the moment of uh, Peter like falling to pieces over Gwen's death and lashing out at MJ. Uh, I'm always taken by the line. He says, like, you wouldn't be sorry if your own mother died to MJ, not knowing, you know, as retcon would later establish that in fact, Mary Jane's mother did die in a very sad way. And so that hurts her specifically. But I think this moment in 122 of her turning back, closing the door, not only is it probably my favorite ending to a single issue of a comic ever, it's such an unexpected, quiet moment that's so brilliantly handled. And, you know, you can go online and look at, you know, how it was originally penciled. And then Ramita Sr. came back and changed up the the way the story was told it's actually been popularly thrown around on twitter uh, over the past week since ramita senior's death it's such a, a quiet moment and it goes against everything we think we know about mj and in that moment that reality being revealed and her letting herself be vulnerable there i think this is the birth of mj as a character i think mj could have disappeared and gone the way of any other, you know, fickle love interest that got thrown into Peter's life. It was this moment of letting that wall come down and comforting Peter that allowed her to hang around, you know, and show that there was more to the character and everything that would come that we would come to learn about MJ takes its cues from this moment. I compare MJ sometimes to Venom in the way that the character was developed, which is like people kind of like a bunch of different creators, like actually like earnestly shepherding forward plot developments from the previous person to create something that is far more complex than something you would just invent on the page wholesale at first. And yet when you look back at it, like, I mean, now Venom is too complicated to even begin to look back at. But at their at his inception, it was this really complex beast that also made complete sense with everything that came before. And I think like this is the moment where MJ gets complexity and everybody would follow on that. And so I think 
it's actually really beautiful. Like this is, I think really one of the only characters Peter would allow one to see his reality and would allow Peter to see her reality. And that's what makes this moment so important to, to this coupling. Yeah. It's interesting to think, how would I read these panels without the retcon knowledge? Like if this was, you know, uh, the, the Wednesday of release and I picked up this issue, like what is my interpretation of this Mary Jane before we learn her entire backstory. I think, you know, since I can't do that, I have to incorporate the retcon information. And, you know, she sees, I think she sees herself in Peter in this moment. I think she sees an opportunity to do something that she wished she had done with her family in this moment. And it reads really beautifully. And then just like the execution of it, those last three panels, you know, this like Godfather moment with this door closing. I mean, it's it's extremely powerful. Like I get emotional reading it. It's crazy. I think, you know, like there are things we all do that are our defense mechanisms that we use to kind of repel people sometimes. And I think that when... Peter called her out going like, the way that you behave makes me feel like you don't care, that you're not curious about why I'm suffering. And you don't have the emotions that I have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that 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 challenges her to stop being the person she is out of habit and start being the kind of person she actually wants to be. Like she wants to be a supportive person. She doesn't want to be a person who is repelled by other people's If she problems. left in that moment, you couldn't necessarily blame her for doing so. Like, it's it's heroic that she stays. Yeah, after being lashed out at. Yeah. I mean, she could have walked out that door and I think we would never see MJ again and, and it would be totally fine for the story, you know? It, yeah, it's that closing the door that creates the butterfly, so to speak. Mark? Well, I was going to say, like, kind of like building off that, I mean, like, I think if you kind of view this in conjunction with, say, the ending of Amazing Fantasy 15, like I think like this is this is to this point, the lowest Peter Parker slash Spider-Man has been as a character since Amazing Fantasy 15, the death of Gwen. And, you know, the the, the ending of Amazing Fantasy 15 is famously him like slinking off into the darkness alone. And the fact that he has MJ here. In this moment, I think like this is the moment that like whether it was intentional or not. And, you know, I think if you talk to Jerry Conway, I think it was intentional. It inexorably links these characters together for like the duration of the story of Spider-Man. It's like, you know, this 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 is the growth, you know, people who the, the growth of Peter. Well, this is this is that growth that he has this somebody now where at his lowest point they can comfort him, whether it's romantically, as a friend, whatever, however, whatever the bond is, it's, it's, it's so transcended. It's like, this is like an instant transformation. And you could talk about, you know, whether the storyline to this point was truly earned or, you know, if the retcons made it earned, regardless, like you can't, there's no walking back this, 
this moment, in my opinion. Like, I, I know creators tried to walk it back. Like, Marv Wolfman, we'll talk about this later in this episode, he didn't want them together. He didn't know what to do, so he wrote around the book. But, like, for the most part, like, you can't walk this back. And I feel like th- this is kind of the moment that, you know, even even the Joe Casadas of the universe are just like, uh, well, we gotta, we gotta, we, she's, she's a part of it somehow, even if we don't want to keep them together as man and wife. So uh, how do we want to do this? How dare you betray Joe Casada? I thought you were Team Casada. Twice, start twice in this episode, I, I, I invoke. If I say him a third time, is he gonna like show up like the Candyman? Like what's his? <laughs> All the characters in the book will suddenly have rounder jaws. There we go. Um, anyway, all right. So you know, speaking of being committed to this uh, plot development, let's talk about step three of my dating plan. Um, my dating plan that that is that is commitment like when i asked mark do you want to do a podcast for the rest of eternity and uh he told me no but i wasn't about to let that fish slip out of my fingers we're making weird metaphors here commitment this is like you know what we've exposed each other you know i've seen your bits you've seen mine let's uh let's let's make this a thing we're like we what it couldn't get worse you know, so um, Mark, tell us about like how do Peter and MJ show their commitment to each other? I I, I have to be committed to this show after that transition, Dan. Okay, <laughs> uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man number one forty-three, or as Dan Kavazdan knows it, the first appearance of Kindred. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I swear I'm still right, but okay. Those colors. <laughs> the colors and the bandages. <laughs> anyway, they uh, uh, Peter, of course, is getting ready to go on a trip to Europe to fight the famed villain Cyclone. But before that, he is uh, at the airport at JFK. They're in the terminal. MJ, basically, I, I always kind of, I see, I, I chuckle at this scene because I kind of view this scene as like MJ kind of challenging Peter's manhood. She's like, oh, you don't have the guts of it. And he's just like tongue in mouth, ready to go. This is, of course, the first kiss. This this story dovetails with the arrival of the clone of Gwen Stacy because, you know, Stanley woke up from a slumber and realized that Gwen Stacy was dead and said to Jerry Conway, what if we brought back a clone or something like that? I don't know. I mean, like, that was a <laughs> terrible Stanley imitation. I apologize to the estate of Stanley. You know, but- don't worry, they're doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, of course, they have some ups and downs during this this stage, including, you know, MJ being a little upset about Peter lying to her about Spider-Man stuff. And then, of course, like the clone showing up. But, you know, they they, they persevere uh, through all this. And we'll talk about that door closing in a little bit, Dan. But is this com- is, is kissing commitment? What, 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 what do we think about this stage here? I, I, I'm working off of Dan's rules it's here. It's definitely so I, a raising you know. of the state. It is for me. <laughs> uh, I like. I would love to know Lisa's take on the tiger revelation because mm-hmm. I'm on Mark's side with that. Like, I find it such a weird thing for her to say to him, and like. I like I have no idea how I would receive that response. Yeah. I don't think I would receive it as positively. Although at the same time, since she's willing and I'd be like, I would definitely be willing. So maybe whatever she says, I wouldn't care and I would just go for it. Do you, do you know what it reminded me of? Like when we when we were first dating. Oh my god, what is going to be said? <laughs> when we were first dating Brad, uh 
Brad would go to the men's room to do his men's room business. What? That sounds weird. What? Like, if we were, like, what out are you saying? Okay, every time, if we were on a date and Brad went to the men's room, he came back with his hair slicked back because he would go in there and he would fix his hair with water in the bathroom. And so... Oh, I thought the two were connected in so, a different so way. So I would call him Slick, and that was our thing. I would go like, "Hey, Slick!" every time he came out of the restroom. And I feel like, uh, um, like with her tiger is thing, that, is that your tiger for me? That was my tiger uh, for you. And, and, and I have in fact, a tiger. You have a tiger. I call you Slick, but only when your hair slicked back, which doesn't last long because the only product you use is water. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, to me, it like. I tried that, but it didn't work. No. But like, she called him Tiger the very first time she saw him, based on his character summation by Aunt May and her Aunt Anna. So that goes back to the setup of like, <laughs> I can't wait for you to meet <laughs> to meet my nephew. He's never spoken to a woman before. Like that was <laughs> that was their selling point. And, but like. What I see this kiss as the beginning of the conversation about their their different forms of attachment, because earlier in this issue, Peter Parker runs into Betty Brant, who's about to marry Ned and she's super happy. She's illuminated from the inside. They still have this little fun and flirty thing, but she's really excited to get married. And then later he runs into Liz Allen and Flash, and they're also very happy. And I think that Peter Parker, because of his parents' relationship, his vague memory of that, but then also the relationship of his aunt and uncle, he very much sees like, okay, adulthood is completed by having a partner. Like, I, he wants to settle down. And he sees... He sees how happy it's making his exes, you know, and we find out later that's not that's not really on the table with Mary Jane at this point where she is. She has a very anxious attachment using attachment theory because of her her parents relationship and then her sister repeating that pattern. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we're going to we'll probably get into that, but the role models for coupling that Mary Jane have versus the role models that Peter Parker have has are very different. So I think to this kiss means something very different to each of them. Where I think to Peter Parker he is stepping up his level of commitment. He is putting his cards on the table with Mary Jane where she later says, like, I really want to keep it open. I really want to keep it playful. There are a lot of men on the planet, and I want a piece of each of them, is essentially what she's trying to sell. And I think the next several issues of their will they, won't they, is based on that he has secure attachment, she has anxious attachment. And it's interesting when they do depart and he gets on the plane and she remains behind and the way that Ross Andrew illustrates Another practically silent page of the two of them, you know, being separated by flight. Reading it on this go around, I found it much more somber and melancholic than I think I did the first time I read this issue. I think it's really scary for Mary Jane. I think her feelings for Peter Parker really scare her. 
I felt that way uh, in the illustration of the the snowfall too adds to it in some way. There's some kind of icy coldness there, but also kind of like the warmth of 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 how we find each other in the cold. You can I say this as someone living in LA that has deep nostalgia for the East Coast. The reason I like really put this under commitment for me is also the follow up, which is like by the time Peter returns, he returns to finding Gwen like alive you know and his feelings for her kind of changed in some way that he can't really understand fully and you know and it it is something to do with the Mary Jane of it all that like he in Mary Jane closing that door in that kiss like it does firm that up that he can't really go back you know he has an opportunity to as weird as it is you know and I think I think Conway knew that, you know, I think he was probably approached by Stan Lee. And again, I don't have any evidence for this other than like what he said on our show, you know, is that like there was a desire to bring back Gwen. And so he's like, sure, I'll do it, you know, but it's like a monkey's paw situation. You know, she came back, but to not further that relationship, you know, and by the end of the original clone saga, it's a test of Peter. Can he move on from Gwen you know, in that sort of way that great fiction use a uh, sci-fi fiction uses those concepts to challenge very real human emotions of, can we move past our former lover or whatever, you know? I also think like the idea of clones is brings up the, the question of, okay, what actually makes me myself? Like uh, Peter Parker is very directly asked, how do you know that you are you? And you are not the clone, you know? And I think that he, like, he goes, he looks at at Gwen and goes, like, she might have the story of Gwen, but she is not Gwen, you know? I think that there is that separation there of, there is something more to me than my narrative. And it's something that I cannot, that's something that's ineffable, I cannot describe. But I can feel. But I can feel, and and I can feel feel, uh, I, and I want to feel it up inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a perfect time for us to go to break. So, Mark, why did you tell us about the slack? If you want to hear more about up inside Mary Jane, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on the Slack. The Amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, what is up and going on in the Slack this week? I really want to like position the Slack away from your your (laughs) transition into it. If you want to know what's going on inside Mary Jane, please don't come inside the Slack. I I don't need that perspective. I I really really don't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I get enough of that on comics, Twitter, but I will, I will say this week on the Slack has actually been interesting. There's a new Godzilla Mendoza video and uh, listeners of our show know that uh, Xavier, also known as Godzilla Mendoza, is, is a is a friend of our show. Came on, did some shows with us back in the day, and he put out this Spider Man video about like, you know, it is the character redeemable, like you know, and and him falling out of love with Spider Man comics. And I think Mark and I have kind of been in that position, uh, you know, o- over the years, despite doing our show and and the Slack 
has kind of erupted in conversation about this video. One that I don't agree with all the points made in it, but the sentiment is really interesting and it really follows Xavier's like heartbreaking uh, with this as he grows up and maybe grows away from Peter. And I thought it was a really interesting video that I wanted to shout out and have our listeners check out, even if it drives them away from our our podcast. No, but like I, I do think there is an interesting narrative there about like what happens when you feel like you're too old for a character anymore. And, you know, let's 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 say his name for a third time, Mark. I'll give you give you the uh, the honors. Joe Casada. <laughs> there is a point made about like what happens when a character is forced to not grow up and how does the audience respond to that? And this is just one person's journey. And I thought it was really interesting. And the Slack has been positive and negative on it. But of course, the one thing we like about our Slack is that it's always civil and nobody's feelings are hurt. If you uh, want to engage in that conversation and many more, come join our amazing Slack. There's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. You can come on in, introduce yourself and be welcomed into our wonderful web. So anyway, that's the amazing spider Slack. All right, Mark, let's get back to our conversation about Mary Jane, the kind of healthy conversation that is not happening in the Slack. <laughs> no, it is happening in the Slack. I don't want to invite the other stuff. Okay. Speaking of which, the next stage. Oh, here we go. I'm really, now I'm really putting my foot in it. The next stage of my five stages of dating. Sorry, Catholics and, and other religious folk. Intimacy before they got married. Okay. This one has some controversy around it because it's never been officially confirmed. Mark, tell us a little bit about the evolution of intimacy between Peter Parker and Mary Jane, as you always call me on Sunday nights to talk about. When we talk about intimacy, especially intimacy before marriage, we're talking about consummating the relationship. You know, what does that mean, Mark? It means sex, okay? That's what it means. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Especially when I say it like that. Thank it sounds you. so beautiful, right? Uh, look. I'm clipping that audio. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man number 149 to 150, a.k.a. the end of the Jerry Conway run. I verbate, I, I point blank asked Jerry. So they had sex at the end of 149, right? When, when MJ shuts the door, when Peter comes and he's like, well, you know, it could be about closing the door for that or it could be closing the door on my run. I'm like, OK, they had sex. I got it. Got it. Got it, Jerry. Anyway, it's funny because you did that in our first interview with Jerry Conway and he still so came back on the show. I know. And when I was interviewing from the book, I was like, no, now seriously, closing the door. They had sex. Right. He's like, I'm not going to say it, Mark. I'm like, OK, fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the end of the of the first clone saga before, you know, Spider-Man had the wherewithal to, to dump his clone uh, body into a smokestack was also to, you know, tap Mary Jane. Maybe we don't know. I, 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 I what, 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 what? Definitely. I, definitely. I, 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 I mean, yeah, like, definitely. I'm, there are many loopholes. It depends on how religious you are. I, I, I mean, like, I've always been of the mindset, frankly, of like, does it matter? I mean, like, Chris, are, you know, when you read like Spider-Man Blue, which of course, like retcons a lot of the earlier Ramita episodes, it's kind of implied that something happened between Peter and Gwen during that time. So, 
does it does it ultimately matter? Does it? I, I don't know. What do, what do we think? Like, do we do we need to know? <laughs> I think part of the beauty of comics is we do get to infer what happens between the panels, and whatever your fantasy is between, like, what happens be- behind that door that makes them closer. Like, I mean, I guess that's up. That's between your you and your god. I don't know why we brought Catholicism <laughs> into it, but like, like to me, I, like. I do think that uh, Peter Parker is an adult, and he gets he gets to do adult things if he wants with Mary Jane. Whatever happens, happens. Who can argue with any of this right now? We're all just like, yeah, true, yeah, word, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I think it is it is notable like that this is the first time that the book you know an 150 issues even like comes remotely close to implying something sexual you know, between, between characters. And I think the implication is pretty blunt, you know, like even it's just in the illustration of the page is, is giddy with like teen, late teen Jerry Conway horniness, you know, found its way in, into the book, which fair enough. Cause he was Peter's age when he was writing this comic. And I, and I do think that that may, that adds a certain quality to, to, to Jerry's writing. I don't, I don't, I think you can just accept it as canon, you know, here. And I don't know how that changes anything particularly other than like, it is a more concrete way of saying post seeing Gwen and the, the clone and, and post this original clone saga, Peter is pretty much fully on board with investing in this relationship with Mary Jane. They are two super weird epilogues, though, like when paired together, (laughs) you know, like the the goodbye to the Gwen clone off to her life, whatever may happen to her. And I don't know. I have my Spider-Man experts on here. Does. okay? I don't know if we even need to go in here. You can edit all this out. But. Do, do we see this Gwen clone again? Is this the J. Michael Straczynski business? No, this is not the Sins Past stuff. There are actually many clones of Gwen Stacy, uh, uh, you know, like just like there are many clones of Peter and stuff like that. I believe this Gwen clone got killed off during the prelude to Spider Island, but I'm not entirely sure. There, there are a bunch of Gwen clones. I just know that like... By the beginning of Spider Island, Dan Slott and the editorial team there, for whatever reason, wanted to clean up that they none of them are out there anymore is my is my memory of it. Now, obviously, you know, during Clone Conspiracy, there was another Gwen clone that we didn't see a body of. So there may now still be a Gwen clone out there that strangely no writer has picked up. I'm surprised by that. But uh, I think at this point. Officially, there are no Gwen clones roaming the Marvel Universe. Okay, got it. I do like the symbolism of um, Peter Parker throwing his clone into a smokestack before perhaps losing his virginity. Like, he's like, I'm no longer this iteration of my former self. Well, that's I am a, a totally new different conversation, losing his virginity. Yeah, you're saying that Gwen has it? I, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, I, I mean, like to me, like, like to me that I think that, what you're uh, saying is Ben Riley is a virgin at, at this point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but like the, like, but the the um the the idea of 
moving forward and set uh, that separation of your past self and your and your future self. Yeah, burning the clone. Yeah, burning the clone. I think that we should all just burn the clone. Every morning you th- you wake up and you go, I'm a new person, burn my clone. It's a, the, and a euphemism is born. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Mark, where does this kind of like leave the Mary Jane relationship at this point? I mean, like you said, Jerry Conway probably was the most invested in this relationship or at least building something there of any of the writers at the time, you know, but this being his final, you know, issue and final statement in his, at that time, like only run, you know, this is an opportunity to kind of like put the pieces away or hand it off to someone else to, to carry it. Like we, we can move on to the next stage, but I'm, I'm curious, like, do you look at this as kind of like almost like a bottled you know, like a moment that people never came back to touch again. It's clear when you look at like the next batch of issues up until her, you know, kind of removal from the book. Like, I don't think, I don't think anyone really knew what to do with it. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, like in, 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 in any form or fashion, I think like kind of like in outside media, like it became, like if you look at like the comic strip and like you know other other like Spider-Man media, it was like okay, Peter and Mary Jane, sure, you know what I mean. Like it's it it's 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 Clark and Lois, you know. I I, I know uh, the Gullicksons here won't talk about Clark and Lois. I kind of feel like this scene is like the last of any kind of meaningful interaction between the two characters for a really long while. I mean, until the the current run that we're talking about this season. I mean, is that an overstatement in anyone's opinion? No, I I actually think it's really funny because like, I think when people look back on like, oh, this classic couple of Mary Jane and Peter, this is the moment where we should have gotten like all of the fun dating stuff that bonded Peter and Mary Jane together and really sold us on them as like, the Clark and Lois couple. And I don't think we ever get really any of it. Like there's not really any exploration of their dating. It kind of, you know, quickly moves on to the next stage, which is of my dating list, which is engagement. There isn't really a lot of this intimacy, you know, like when I think about intimacy in regards to Peter and Mary Jane, I think like David Michelinie's stuff post marriage in the nineties and all the sexy stuff there, all the stuff during like their rekindling of their relationship in the JMS run. Now it could just be like this, that, you know, the kind of like dating realm that existed back in the seventies, you know, that was different than today, right? Where, where you, you would get married before you became intimate. Uh, Again, I, I'm remiss to bring up religion, but I think it's even more broader than that. It's, it's cultural, you know, that like, People did rush into marriage a lot faster than we do today, typically. But at the same time, there was a long period of this book where we explored the Peter and Gwen relationship. And I just don't think Mary Jane ever really got that treatment, at least in conte- contemporarily. Uh, you know, n- nowadays you could grab any number of retcon backstories, whatever of them together. But I, it's funny how little we got of it at the time. And I think that's worth noting. I always wonder what or how we would feel about them as a couple if during this period we would have gotten all the sexy dating stuff uh, that we're robbed of. Like if all the, 
you know, Michelini, Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane, s- stuff that w- that I love so much, the, the, the teasing, the chemistry, the sexiness of those issues was in this period, how would we feel about bringing them together as a couple and then, you know, divorcing them or Mephistoing them or whatever? I, I think we on this show here are maybe more accepting of that than the average audience. So it, it's hard to say, uh, at least based on uh, every time I turn on Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that like there, you know, at least editorially, there are a lot of people within Marvel that wanted to undo the marriage. And this is a whole other topic. But I do think a lot of it is based on that this phase was not particularly substantial and and we kind of the intimacy like uh, in and I'm looking at my notes here like I have one bullet point under the intimacy phase because there wasn't really much there for them you know and whether that's because they wanted to foreground conflict or whatever but there's not even really that between Peter and MJ like there's not she just is not as big of a character as you would expect given the end of the Conway run Mark do you uh, do you have any thoughts on why that might be. I mean, nothing specific. I, I mean, just just conjecture. I, I I mean, like, even in talking with Jerry Conway, he personally preferred MJ to Gwen, but I don't think anybody really had a plan for what to do beyond Peter and MJ just being together. You know what I mean? I think that's part of the issue. It's yeah. a, it, it, it's. No one wanted to actually take the next step in writing them in terms of having something below, you know, something deeper than just, oh, they're together, you know, and and, you know, we'll without, you know, jumping ahead. I mean, just just the well, go ahead, jump ahead. Let's get into engagement. Well, right. I mean, like, so I mean, the 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 ultimate coupling. OK, well, the the initial engagement or or proposed engagement came during um, the Marv Wolfman run, like very early on. Uh, it was Amazing Spider-Man 182. He uh, proposes to MJ with a Cracker Jack ring box, and she turns him down because she doesn't want to be tied down by marriage. And then she goes to uh, help Aunt Anna uh, move to Florida, and we really don't see her again until the Roger Stern run about 80 issues later it's 80 issues yeah. yeah and 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 basically like you know i i interviewed marv wolfman about this for my book and i'm sure he's said this in other epi- you know other interviews so this is not like breaking news or anything but like he was just basically like yeah i don't i don't get why these two characters were together she's like i don't know if he referred to her as a supermodel because like i don't think you know like the supermodel thing really didn't come until later in my understanding but like even still it was like what's this like sex pot doing with dorky peter parker you know i think that was kind of common conjecture at that point and uh marv wolfman was like i i I didn't want to write about it so i just wrote her out of the book roger stern brought her back but like kind of brought her back as a point of conflict between peter and felicia and, you know, it's worth noting, like, the relationship between Peter and Felicia, it, it wasn't Peter and Felicia. It was Spider-Man and Black Cat. And that was always the distinction. You know, I think I feel always feel like that was a way to kind of put that barrier between, well, Peter Parker shouldn't be with 
an attractive woman, but a woman, but but Spider Man can be because it's just you know like that's the the that that weird kind of separation of it. People just didn't want to didn't want to address it. They didn't want to write about it because they feel like it didn't make for for some people it didn't make sense. And you know Jerry Conway was like, I like them together, but I didn't necessarily saw, see them lasting forever with each other. I don't think anybody involved saw them going all the way with this and i'm not even saying like all the way the end of episode of issue 149 all the way i just mean like marriage all the way so you know do we want to anyone want to kind of jump in on this the first half of the of the engagement era here i think that part like baked into the formula of peter parker from the beginning was this idea that he was a nerd, but now that he's got like muscles and some confidence, he has the opportunity to tomcat around a little bit. And when Peter Parker got with Mary Jane, they had big time settle down energy. And the problem is like at this point in time, a character, uh, particularly a female character that is settled down has no more motivation. Like, like she's married so what other, like, what else could we really do with her? Like, she's done, you know, other than maybe throw her off a cliff in some kind of crisis. Or moment. a bridge. Or a bridge. You know what I mean? But they'd already done bridge, you know? So I, I would push back a little bit and say, like, not just in that point of time. I think almost every time that Peter and MJ get together, they don't know what to do with her. I mean, you look at something like the JMS run, the minute those two get together, uh, you know, and she starts acting with Robert De Niro... They're not really sure what to do with Peter and MJ and maybe it's the lack of conflict or whatever. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's something deeply sexist in there, uh, I, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's like a huge missed opportunity because what I love about Peter and MJ as a couple is that she is so confident on her own. Like she doesn't need she has her own career. She has her own interest. She has separate friends. Like they can be the kind of power couple that exists both independently and together. And I think that that's so inherently interesting. Yeah, I just think, I think it's that the writers don't have a job for her the way that like the writers of Lois Lane, like with Lois Lane, you're like, okay, she's a journalist. Right. She can get into situations. Right. And like, they can't think of situations for Mary Jane to get into because of a lack of imagination. Right. But you know, at the same time, Mary Jane can pick up a bat and, and go after a spider slayer. Or she can just meet him <laughs> at home. You know what I mean? Like she's like, Hey, you know, I'm in a show, I'm traveling, I'm out at night and, and so's so's my husband. Well, the comic could embrace what we all know it to be a soap opera. Yeah, you know, it could drill down into the soap opera ness of it even further than it does. But I do like I, and yet I, it doesn't. I, I just hate uh, yeah, the yeah. I hate the bias that um, functioning couples are not interesting because I because because I find my life very interesting and we're a functioning <laughs> couple. But Mary Jane doesn't even really at this point have much of a life outside of Peter Parker. You know, like I, I think like Spider-Man one, the movie does a great job of like doing some correctiveness to that, like giving her the waitressing job and like having her, you know, whether it's dating or whatever, but she does have a, like, I want to be an actress. And I don't think that that really element of the character is really here at this point. So yeah, she does exist only as, you know, a object of 
Peter's affection or or not, or one of the other members of the supporting cast. Right. Well, like um, except for when like, she was so, dating Harry. Right. When she was yeah, dating Harry, yeah. she was in a show. Like, and yeah. she was taking acting classes. Like, she had an interest. It's just that, it's just that those interests were put aside when it wasn't serving Peter. But it's just like it's it. Sorry, I was just say it's interesting to me. Like, I, I I kind of mentioned this in my initial recap. Like, you know, the 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 dismissive. You know, the, the way we dismiss Peter and MJ is like, well, you know, what's this guy doing with a supermodel? And it's like, but she's not here. You know what I mean? Like she actually doesn't start doing that stuff until she's married and there's more of a relationship there. Like like they, they, they started to add the story after the relationship became committed and final. And when you look at these issues here, there's no story there at all. So it's like, so what do you mean you can't figure it out? You know what I mean? Like you, you have a blank slate for the most part outside of, like you said, the, the, the few issues where she's like, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to be in a show. And they, and they put her in a show, but like, there's no other story there. It's, it's completely fluid. It's just, you had creators who just like, I don't want to write a relationship for Peter because you know, he's, he's a loner or whatever, whatever, whatever the, the preconceived notion was. And it, and it, it kind of perpetuated from there. I think how Marv went about it, I think, is the real problem. You know, having him propose and be rejected. I think retroactively it works that Mary Jane doesn't really want to be committed in any way. The answer to removing Mary Jane from the book was to make Black Cat a strong figure in the book. And something like Ultimate Spider-Man would do a better job of this with Kitty Pride, where it's like, I can't date MJ. She's going to get injured. So I need to date someone that can actually be safe around me. And Black Cat offers that uh, and kind of continues to up Peter's like, I'm with a sexy lady, you know, uh, kind of thing. But I don't think even that relationship is really explored for the whole like, uh, I won't get Black Cat hurt until like they want to get rid of Black Cat from the book. You know, it's not really like an initial appeal necessarily. And I do think there's an opportunity here to like say like, look, we're going to like let Mary Jane go because of Spider-Man, you know, um, not just because we want to get her out of the book, uh, even if it retroactively works that she's not one for uh, a commitment. So, Mark, why don't you tell us about how we learn more about the depths of who this person Mary Jane is? And I don't mean it in the physical way. Get your heads <laughs> out of the gutter, all you listeners. I mean, this is already the best episode ever on that front. Okay, well, <laughs> um, so of course, you know, MJ is reintroduced during the Roger Stern run, but then kind of gets catapulted to the next level by DeFalco and Stern. The the best issue I think for this is, of course, all our past remembered, which is, just sounds like a soap opera uh, just from the title. That's Amazing Spider Man two fifty nine. That's kind of like MJ's origin issue, if you will. She reveals that she's known Peter's secret. I mean, we really learned that in Amazing Spider-Man 257, but then it's further retconned in Parallel Lives. Then she reveals her own backstory, which is meant to mirror Peter. And I mean, even the the way the art is presented by Ron Friends, it's a it's kind of like her Amazing Fantasy 15. She grows up in a family who moved around a lot, so that kind of gave her this extroverted, carefree attitude. Her father is a professor. Her mother was interested in drama, but then gave it all up when she became pregnant with MJ and her sister Gail. Her father then kind of devolves because he's repeatedly failed to write a book. 
He takes it out on MJ's mother. He moves around from town to town. That's part of also where MJ developed her own interest in drama. And um, then her father, you know, like, you got to go all the way with just, you know, the traumatizing behavior here. So her father physically abuses Gail and MJ's mother and and she leaves uh leaves her father that's how they come to live with Aunt Anna Gail MJ's sister falls in love with someone named Timmy they move away she gets pregnant but then Timmy basically kind of expects Gail to you know be a very kept woman and take care and be a slave to him uh so uh she gets pregnant again then Timmy leaves her and then, you know, MJ, of course, observes all this and is just completely uh, traumatized and destroyed by it. And then MJ's mother dies. And Gail says that MJ can help her raise her family. I mean, like, it's just, you know, drama after drama uh, that causes MJ to flee. And, you know, so, like, essentially all the women here gave up their dreams for a man. And she's not going to make that same mistake. Lot, lot to unpack here, Dan. What do, what do, do you have anything you want to add to that? I mean, we, we've talked about this issue in great detail. Actually, I think with uh, Available Alan ba- back in our Essentials uh, uh, podcast. I think that was his uh, debut era. His debut on the show, in fact. Uh, it was, yeah. So go check that out. The, the, the first appearance of Available Alan. You know, it's a lot of information to come out in one comic and that it can handle the exposition so deftly, I think really is a um, testament to how elegant the construction of it is yes it relies on a lot of very familiar tropes but i do think that that like lets the beast sort of a shorthand to understanding and unlocking mj's past and why she behaves the way she does and i think it's a really elegant like kind of beautiful retcon that really fleshes out this character and also the reflection in that it mirrors peter's own kind of trauma and how, why he acts the way he does, I think is a really smart move. I, I think this is one of the most clever issues of Amazing Spider-Man in regards to like character work. Even when they're done walking through Central Park and they go down into the subway and Ron has talked about this on our show, the body language of the two, you know, whether they're willing to comfort each other or not. Like there's just so much going on in this issue that to me, I, I think it's kind of the holy grail of like, uh, MJ issues. It, it's the first time we as the audience get to see her fully. And I think that's really exciting in the way that, you know, she saw Peter under, under the mask early on. It took us 200 plus issues to finally meet Mary Jane for real. I feel like this conversation, this entire issue could also go under the intimacy heading because I like, by the very nature of having a secret, the speak- secret of being Spider-Man, Peter Parker cannot be fully seen. And that causes this wedge between him and his past relationships that he feels like he can function with. He's like, I can make it work. I can make a double life work. And then we get um, Mary Jane revealing the secrets that she's been carrying, her secrets about her trauma, her secrets about um, how she has been 
nurtured into believing that to commit to someone means that you have to martyr yourself fully and you have to give up on yourself fully. And the secret that she knows that Peter is Spider-Man. Right. And I and I think that like Peter is ultimately really flattered by the level of curiosity that she had about who he really is. Like, I think that it never would have, like, I feel like it never would have worked if Peter had just told MJ, like, guess what? I love you so much. I have a secret to tell you. I'm Spider-Man. I think the idea of her going like, I see you. I can be trusted with this secret, clearly, because I've been holding it to myself for so long. And it's not going to change my relationship with you, which is right now uh, a platonic friendship. Yeah, and everything you've known of me, the me you've known has always known that you're Spider-Man. Right, right. I I think, like, it is a huge trust hurdle for Peter. And and I think that she feels like she needs to compensate by kind of showing him some of the skeletons in her closet. I, I think it's a huge trust fall. And I think it, it really deepens the level of intimacy, just like in just connections, making connections to the past, from the past to the present. I, I do want to kind of talk about the trauma element of this. You know, we mentioned that there's like kind of this skip of the intimacy phase, you know, earlier. There's not the kind of cutesy dating fun. You know, we bring MJ back here after 80 issues and it's immediately straight to the trauma that defines the character. We, we do see, like you, you mentioned the nineties, the sexy scenes and like stuff like that. But like to me, their relationship is bonded by trauma in, in both trauma that they uh, endured. And I think that makes them a uniquely like good pairing for each other, like in that they can share that with each other. But I also wonder if like as like writers, creatives and stuff, it has locked these characters into really just kind of endlessly uh, reflecting these inherent, these initial traumas that bring them close together. I mean, yes, maybe it wouldn't make for interesting reading to see just a happy Peter and MJ forever, you know, but like it is that kind of like endless drama between them just locked into like. Well, that's who these characters are. They only are together because of trauma. Peter had his trauma. He had Uncle Ben. And so he threw himself entirely into martyrdom. He goes, I'm going to be Spider-Man. I'm going to give up having an honest relationship. I'm going to give up having a social life. I'm going to give up, you know, um, having work-life balance. I am... I'm going to I'm going to be Spider-Man until I'm dead. That is the commitment that I'm I'm making. She has her trauma and she goes, I refuse to martyr myself. I will not commit to anybody. I will not commit to a career. I will not I will not commit myself to anything deeper than than a friendship with you. Right. And then and then the rest of their relationship is this balance of Peter realizing hey, I can be Spider-Man and perhaps actually be happy. And MJ going like, hey, I can actually have a human, a deep human connection and still have my autonomy 
And it's just that seesaw, which like depending on which run you're reading or whatever works better or worse. But to me, I think like that idea of Peter Parker is a person who runs toward commitment, like without thinking, right? He, he goes, I owe the universe this thing. I will run to it and I will commit fully to it. And MJ's a person who goes, I'm fully committed to myself. Therefore, I will run away from any other kind of human connection if it means sacrifice any, any, sacrificing any of my autonomy. And the trouble occurs because it's a continuing comic and right. the status quo has to keep returning to the definitions of the character. But as like longtime comics readers, you just you just know that that's like that comes with pros and yeah. cons. Right. You know, there's opportunities for writers to re-explore these ideas with a modern context. And I think that's good, but can also be frustrating. But that's also the experience of reading comics. And it just is. Right. I, I think that what we have is a fulcrum rather than like an incline of like growth. With Peter and MJ, it is a fulcrum of growth of they grow and then they grow and then it goes down a little bit and they grow and then it goes down a bit where I feel like, you know, but that is, isn't that like also like life? Like, I, like you keep having to relearn. I, I'm turning 40 this year and I've discovered I'm not getting any better. I'm staying <laughs> the same. I'm just, I'm just getting wiser about the ways that I suck, you know? In many other scenarios, they would end this issue like kind of recommitting to each other in some way. But MJ is very clear to put up like, I just want to be like, we're going to be really close friends, right? But ultimately, we do get to another proposal. How how do we get there? Tell tell the listeners who maybe haven't read it. How does this end up happening? I mean, is it actually clear? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, to 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 best summarize, um, you know, we had the the Spider Man versus Wolverine uh, one shot um, where you know Peter is in Berlin. Ned leads dies but of course is later revealed as the hobgoblin which is later retconned you know he he and then he know, undies and then he dies again and, and then he undies again right right and like during that issue like peter <laughs> is like trying to reconcile with mj and like awkwardly kisses her and she rejects him again so you know like it's like that's kind of lingering and when he gets back from berlin this is around issue 290 in amazing spider-man Felicia then leaves him. He's kind of fine with it because she's connected to the foreigner anyway, who's like involved with Ned Leeds' death. So that that causes Peter to kind of reconnect with MJ, to gravitate towards her, and to propose to her. Because, you know, what 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 else is someone on the rebound gonna do? She denies him again. And that leads to kind of MJ trying to find herself. So she goes out to Pennsylvania. It's like Western Pennsylvania, right? Like Pittsburgh, that area, I think. Um, yeah. And she's going to confront her father yeah. and kind of like... The site of Rabin's explosion. There you go. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, I think York is around. Anyway. Anyway, MJ yeah. is going to like tie a neat, happy bow around her her childhood trauma here with her dad Peter uh, follows her, which, you know, isn't creepy at all. And then, you know, together they healed old wounds and she changes her mind and says, yes, it's worth noting in the background of all this that Stan Lee during a comic convention basically 
talked about marrying Peter and MJ in the daily comic book strip, was apparently asked at a convention, why can't it happen in the comics? He turned to Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief of Marvel, and was like, well, Jim, why can't it? And, uh, you know, and then we had the wedding, which we're not talking about in this episode, even though I've already said Joe Quesada three times. If I talk about the wedding, Joe Quesada is definitely going to, like, <laughs> reappear in front of me and, like, stab my eye. He's going to, like, Kool-Aid man through your wall. He's going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah and stab my eye with an ice pick. <laughs> um, so anyway, they're engaged because, yeah. What do we think about this? Because this is like, I, I like... People say I'm anti-wedding. It's not that, but it's like, look at this. Like, what what are we talking about here? Like, this isn't like this isn't storytelling. This is just like, let's do it. Like, like action, go. I don't know. What what do we what do we think? Yeah, it's a <laughs> wild engagement. <laughs> like, when 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 Peter grabs Mary Jane by the shoulders, he goes like, "Will you marry me?" <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my god, dude!" You, like, and, and like it was the beginning of that issue. You know, he's on a roof and he's like crushing this uh, chimney pipe going like, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. And then that issue ends with him going like, will you marry me? Like, yeah, no, no what don't a do it. Marry it has me. serious Tom Cruise yes. on the couch energy about it. Yeah. I'm in love with MJ. I but swear. But isn't it based like, isn't so he's he's feeling this dissatisfaction in his life. And he goes to Mary Jane. Like, I've committed to being Spider-Man now, finally. I'm enjoying being, like, uh, like from points on a graph, right, or the story I'm telling myself, like, this, this is the circumstances in which I thought I would be happy. I'm not happy. And she's the one who's saying, like, maybe it's not this Spider-Man character you've committed to. Maybe it's actually a Peter problem. And that cracks open his brain. Like like what I was talking about earlier of, hey, I full, I've fully committed to this martyrdom thing and I'm not fulfilled. And her going like, oh, be, maybe it's because you're not fulfilled as a person. And that like blows his mind, right? And, uh, and then he has that kind of engagement moment that is not well received. But then she gets the call to go to Pennsylvania and her, her sister's arrested. Her her family drama has gone to apocalyptic level where like her sister's in jail and her dad is like framing her and all of this stuff. Selling fake manuscripts. And it's just really, really <laughs> gross. And instead of keeping Peter out of it, she calls him and goes like, Peter, can you please come to to this ugliness? And of course, thirsty as he is, he goes like immediately. And then she goes like, hey, Peter, I'm considering committing this crime to get my sister out of jail. And what Peter says is, my answer is no matter what you decide to do, I'm going to support you. Okay, sploosh. Yeah. So hot. And she's like, 
okay, I'm going to commit the crime. And Peter is like, But he does (laughs) actually support her. But he's also thinking, like, I'm going to have to stop this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also has a Spider-Man in us. He tells her, yeah, yeah, I'll do what you want. But then when she says, okay, well, I'm going to commit this crime, he's like, hmm. But if you go back to her family trauma and that anxious attachment, she was raised to believe that when you have needs, you are repulsive. When you have a problem and you're upset, people will shake you out of their lives, right? People will leave you. And he doesn't. And he doesn't. And and I think that that kind of cracks her brain open. Like, you know, uh, and I think so it's, ba- it's that seesaw thing of like, I can have my autonomy to make the bad decisions I wanna make, Hey, I can be Spider-Man and I can also be fulfilled as Peter Parker. I I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Lisa. I, I think a lot of the reason that people, you know, rebuff this development, you know, like Mark suggested, and, and I, I'm one of them. I, I think that this is kind of out of nowhere, but I do think that the 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 essence of the character work makes sense. Like I just think we're not used to the like shotgun Vegas wedding in the pages of comic books. Things are usually drawn out. You see it play out. And this is like mixed up in like spider slayer nonsense and, you know, all this other stuff um, that we don't really get to explore a lot of what Lisa just beautifully described on the page it just is like snapping your fingers and they are decided to run off to get the altar with each other and i think it's very it's very sudden i think that there's this thing in comics that like i wasn't raised reading comics i didn't really start reading comics until i was like 19 or 20 and like there's this thing in comics where you figure if you're not looking at a character that they're not developing and like to me, like that's just not how my brain works. You're all about in between the panels. <laughs> in between the panels. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, Mary Jane might not be there for 80 issues, but she's somewhere and she is changing. And and so like to me, especially with this beautiful outline you have put together, Dan, like to me, you you are the one who has created this argument of why it makes perfect sense that through all of the trauma they've went through, through the points in time where they've connected, they should and do end up together at least briefly. Yeah, I mean, because we spent this afternoon reading these issues, the narrative looks like this is how it happens. This is how it goes. Now, but this pop is... quiz me about all of the villains that were in these issues. I can't tell you one thing. But but as a reader who has been reading every month for 290 two months i could see why this feels so not well that it doesn't feel it doesn't feel steady but to me like this isn't just how i read spider-man this is how i read x-men this is how i read saga this is how i read everything all like my my big climactic events are who's banging and why you know, like to me, like all of the fights are just to get to the relationship stuff. That is how I enjoy yeah. reading comics. So, I mean, that leads me to my next question. And, and I'm I, I'm amazed that we've 
and this made this a really fun episode to go on this journey uh, with you guys. Like I tend to think that there is a sort of rose tinted glasses over the coupling of MJ and Peter where it like the comics are anything but a straight line now laid out. Like you said, like this, it does seem more straight, even though we've noted there are like kind of missing pieces. It doubles back on itself. You know, it sounds like you guys really think that this is earned on the page, like that we arrived at this conclusion. Um, And then if that's so, you know, do you think this is what makes MJ and Peter the ultimate couple in these comics you know like we've seen other people come and go i we can get to are is there a, ever going to be a replacement for mj i think we can all probably say no like no character will ever be given this time to develop in this way especially in the creator like run even marvel where like a run happens for however many issues and then it resets uh, like I don't think a character will ever get this kind of long treatment, but like, is this? Do you think they're the ultimate couple in the pages of of Marvel, Spider Man, whatever? So we thought that at the end of our four episode series on comic book couples counseling, and then this conversation and the build up to this conversation for me solidified it even more. I, I like. I think the hardest thing for a lot of comic book couples is just the alignment of principles. And I think like the, this idea of Mary Jane's primary principle being independence, my independence first and Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Peter Parker's principle being I'm Spider-Man first is just really complimentary. And it's good narrative. It's good narrative. And I think you know, even if you compare it, his relationship directly to uh, Felicia and being with Black Cat, I mean, they do not have an alignment of principles. They, they're going to clash all of the time on those, like, you know. Yeah, they're like the His Girl Friday kind of couple. Mm. Right, right. Where I feel like Peter Parker and Mary Jane can actually function. I mean, I was about to say, there you heard it. Uh, Long-time famous anti-Peter MJ podcast, Amazing Spider Talk, has guests on that say they are the ultimate couple, Dan. I mean, where else can we go from here except by retiring our show (laughs) and hanging it up? I I mean, like, I don't feel to this point that they brought it home. That's just me. I, I, I feel that this is, you know, like... You know, Dan, you talked about the shotgun wedding. I don't even think it's the suddenness of it. I just feel like there, there's just no there there. And, it, and I think that the, the there is because not because the potential isn't there or because there isn't underlying growth and development there, but because there were a series of creators who just kind of like, you know, looked at their thumbs and were like, no, I don't want to do anything with this. You know, like, I think like, you know, if Jerry Conway, like follow the trajectory through, or, you know, if Tom DeFalco and and Ron friends got to kind of build on, you know, like bridge the gap between some of these periods, we would be there. But, but like, you know, like, the Falcon and Friends, they were building in that direction. And then, you know, I mean, we always talk about the editorial interference, I think, through the lens of the Hobgoblin. But, like, this is affected, too, in my opinion. I mean, like, this this whole storyline is kind of thrown all over the place. And, 
it's just hard for me, like, you know, for viewing it, viewing the relationship through this to this stopping point, which, you know, Dan, you have set the rules and I'm not going to break the rules. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just not there for me yet. It will it will get there. Spoiler alert. But like, it's not I, I, I don't see it to this point. That's all. I think the big question here is the word marriage. You know, like I, I, I think by the end of this story, like Amazing Spider-Man 292, like we have all the things we need to understand why this pairing is uniquely special in the pages of comics and uh, that a journey was taken. The marriage was an editorial editorially decided upon thing. Like whether or not you like, you know, uh, issues 290 through 292 is, 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 is is something else. Like I think they're pretty well written. You know, Lisa did a great job of, of, finding out the kind of like emotional, you know, details inside, inside of it. But I don't think that marriage was maybe the next step for this. Were it not for editorial stepping in and saying, we're going to make a big spectacle out of this and we're going to marry these two again. I wasn't like, this is the, like the early nineties, you know, or, or late eighties. It was 1990 when they got married. No, 87, 88, I think. Okay, eighty-seven, yeah, eighty-eight. I think it's eighty-seven. Yeah, like that's, I was just born then, you know. So, like, you know, culturally, I don't know. Like, maybe it made more sense, you know, back then. I mean, the eight, um, the eighty-six so, Mets were doing a lot of cocaine during this wedding. That's all I can tell you. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> with the cosplayers nearby. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, maybe it made more sense for them uh, seeing people in their pajamas it's running the around. Best. On, 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 on. Yeah, <laughs> I think by the end of 292, you have everything you need to know to say this is the ultimate couple like for Spider-Man, you know, like to to bond these two through this way is very unique in in comics. So I, I, I think I mean, Mark and I will probably when we get to the marriage, we'll probably have a little bit of a debate about it because I do think we have a slightly different opinions about the marriage, even though I think we get painted with the same brush. Yeah. C- consider me like hashtag Peter MJ hashtag fire Nicolo. No, don't, don't consider me with those guys, but, um, <laughs> but I am on team MJ and, and Peter. And I do think their relationship is special and actually fairly well earned on the page, you know, Put me in, in in Team Brad and Lisa. You sold out. There you go. You went full Ramita um, on me here, Dan. So uh, anyway, <laughs> gone main. Does anybody have any final statements to make about Mary Jane and Peter's coupling um, or even Mary Jane as a character uh, before we close out? I think I would add that by the end of 292 and you get the proposal and it's like, okay, we're going to get married. That also doesn't mean like, well, what they've got here is the the makings of a uh, lifelong marriage. Right. Mm. Like, yeah, sustainable think, marriage. Yeah, yeah, sustainable marriage. Yeah. Like, I, I do think that after this point, and, and I think it's true with a lot of marriages, there's still a lot more of bonding that is required and understanding mm-hmm. and empathy that is required beyond this point. And they got a lot of issues that they're going to have to work out together. If they ever do, I don't know. I never got beyond 292. That's not true. But. 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, some people, some writers will actually explore that and others will not, you know, yeah. and I, I think, you know, th therein comes the rub, you know, like, like who is interested in doing what, you know, and, and uh, how, how many marital issues can work to redefine a character. I mean, we have Peter smacking MJ, we've got a miscarriage, you know, there's all these emotional turmoil and, and tragedies and stuff that they go through. And, you know, I think there is a very real, uh, Casada driven argument that like, those are very adult things to put a character through that seems to be elevated. And if that's not the character you want to write, you know, it's hard to ignore that, like, uh, the, the adultness of, uh, being married, so to speak. So, uh, which not to say that I agree with their choice, but I understand how people feel that way. So again, everybody get off your emails. I will not be responding to them. Mark, why don't you take us home? Make me the make me the heavy. Sure. It's that time time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning into this episode of the amazing spider talk. But before we sign off, we want to once again thank Brad and Lisa Gullickson for joining us to talk about Peter and MJ's relationship. Brad and Lisa, where else can our listeners find you on the wonderful world of the web, social media, you know, all those things where only happy things happen? The great web yeah. of life and destiny. <laughs> Yeah, you can find all Comic Book Couples Counseling things at ComicBookCouplesCounseling.com. Uh, if you are on Twitter or Instagram, you can find us, CBCC Podcast, Comic Book Couples Counseling on Facebook. We are currently in the middle of a counseling session with Mark and Eve from Invincible. We have one more episode to do uh, covering the last arc of Invincible. Lisa has never read Invincible all the way through, so she's got a lot of discoveries ahead of her. Oh, that final uh, issue is, uh, is one of the best ever. Yes. Uh, and our next episode will be a creator conversation with Jean Luen Yang talking about the An American Born Chinese adaptation. So we're excited about that. I love that graphic novel. I, Me too. Good. I discovered that back when it first came out and uh, it's been quite a journey. I've recommended it to countless people and uh, so I'll have to tune in and, and hear that interview. I'm really excited. Hey, I thought this was a really special episode and I, I can't thank you guys enough for, for joining us. And I, I hope we can bring you guys back on for uh, all of the future relationships. Get prepared to talk Carly Cooper. Uh, <laughs> you know, or, or I don't know, maybe we'll go back in time and talk Deb Whitman and have uh, a horribly abusive relationship. We can do like but. Jonah and Marla Jamison, you know, like we, we got, we <laughs> got, we got, we got, we got, we got, we how uh, Anna turned Aunt May into a swinger. Oh, well. We're going to have to do that <laughs> on our episode. own show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, t tune in somewhere for that, uh, you know, <laughs> even if it's just in Lisa's head. Okay, well, uh, again, thank you guys for coming on. This was so much fun. I, I love your show, and I've been looking for the right time to bring you guys on, and I thought this was definitely it. So thanks Aww. again. Uh, a true honor, a true honor. Longtime <laughs> listeners and uh, 
first time guests we're coming back. all right awesome awesome well this podcast exists because of listener support on patreon for only three dollars and 99 cents a month you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes including new asm reviews the same week they release exclusive artwork and a ton of other bonuses so a thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do a special thanks to our newest patrons jay davies david nunez sean Carrage. Abraham, Tom Trainer, Thaddeus Smith, Thaddeus Smith. I butchered the easiest last name. Uh, Gabriel Pankhurst, Douglas LaRose, Alejandro Esparza, and Amit Sivan. It was a big week for our Patreon. Plus, we wanted to uh, extend a special thanks to Michelle Potter, Jonathan Creasman, and Warren Alexander for upgrading their membership tiers. Man, our show is failing by the week, Dan. I gotta tell you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, as I get I, shout out to Twitter. Yes, uh, as I tear my rotator cuff, uh, patting myself on the back. I also want to say, download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and more. In many of these episodes, we're talking about the Peter and MJ coupling and other episodes contemporary to those events by subscribing to our amazing spider talk back issues podcast on apple Podcasts. this podcast was edited by rick coast the video version of the show is available on youtube and was edited by alex galucky our artwork comes handcrafted by artists ron friends sal busema and nick cagnetti our theme songs were produced by rylan bojack tony thaxton and spider madge and our animated intro was created and performed by josh sutton so, Mark, until the devil finds out our love to be so potent. Sorry. So, Mark, until the devil finds our love to be so potent as to undo his rule over hell and decides to undo our podcast union, what's our motto? I mean, it's like this undoing is part of like the, well, Mark said he would only do five years and then he would be quitting. <laughs> anyway, uh, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next in